Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Hello, quality people, healthcare leaders, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, with the Quality Coaching Company, and welcome to episode number 13 of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And yes, quality people, for the past two weeks now, I've introduced variation into my show release process by giving you a second episode in the same week, but I really wanted to end 2019 Nurse Appreciation Week out on an exceptionally high note. Now, maybe I'll get it back on track next week, but today's guest is Pat Merriweather Argus, and I'm telling you, Pat is yet another talented, highly passionate, and uniquely qualified healthcare quality leader. Pat is the executive director of Project Patient Care, where she's working to bring the voice of persons, patients, families, and caregivers to the forefront in healthcare settings and the policy work that influences the actual care provided. Pat previously served as the Executive Director of the Medicare Quality Innovation Network and the Senior Vice President of the Illinois Hospital Association. Now, while Pat is not a nurse by background, I honestly don't know if I've ever met a bigger advocate for not just patients and families, but the nurses and other professionals that provide care and support. In today's episode, Pat shares the professional and deeply personal influences that pulled her into the healthcare quality improvement career path, the power of measuring the right elements for healthcare quality improvement, the importance of closing the healthcare disparity gaps, tips on spreading evidence-based practices through her international efforts, and many other value-added experiences. In addition to bringing her 30-plus years of quality improvement experience to our podcast, Pat brings her vast experience and background from serving on several state and national boards and committees and shares her knowledge and experience built on volunteering in over a dozen developing countries through her leadership in the Rotary International Group. Pat, thank you so much for sharing your story with our audience. Quality people, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that episode number 13 adds value to your day. So, Pat, are you ready to share with some quality people? I sure am. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Thank you for coming on. And, uh, Pat, just so you know, we love to start the show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So we would love for you to share with us your favorite quote or your favorite mindset, but also share with us how you apply it in your daily life. I actually have two, um, and and I want to share both of them. One is uh, from Martin Luther King Jr., and it's uh, life's most precious and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And so trying to live a life that it's not about me, it's about others and what we're doing to improve uh, the quality and safety uh, for the patients we serve. And then the other is one that um, I learned in grade school, and I have carried it through my entire life. Uh, good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better is the best. And that's how I feel about quality. 
is we're always striving to give to do the best and be the best and share that with others so everyone can be the best. Now that that is wonderful. I've never heard that one and it rhymes, so you know it's gonna <laughs> stick. So I appreciate that. So Pat would love to jump into it. I, I'm really excited that you were able to join my research looking for great quality people to invite on the show led me to you and then I had a chance to research your background a little bit, you know, Google the companies and some of the work and projects that you're involved in and I was just really amazed with your background. But I would love to learn your your background in total. Um, you know, what was your introduction to quality? Uh what led you down that career path? How did you get started? We'd love to hear that from you. It all started when I was working at the Illinois Hospital Association. I really came from a a planning and research background. I had worked for the city of Chicago in the fire department, housing departments, and more in the planning area. And at the hospital association, uh, they formed a group. It was called the Blue Ribbon Panel on Quality, and it was chaired by somebody from the healthcare plan a local healthcare plan. And they focused on issues such as a C-section rates, uh, of some mortality rates and wait times. And at about the same time as all this was going on, and I was involved more from a data side, information side, uh, my father died of a medical error. Uh, he went in for an invasive uh, procedure and it was he was a leukemia patient and everyone forgot to take a simple blood coagulation test. And he ended up dying. He bled to death. So that sort of changed my perspective that there was more to this about how we could avoid these types of circumstances and how we could also share and spread some of the best practices. And I was very fortunate that the hospital where this occurred, I met with the CEO And at that time, what they did is they took um, stickers um, and put them on all the patients uh, with leukemia or had any type of compromise uh, with blood coagulation. And uh, so that was their way of avoiding it uh, from ever happening again. There was a red sticker on them. Um, And it said, please make sure you undertake the simple test. (laughs) And um, now we have electronic health records, and hopefully people don't turn off those reminders because they do save lives. So that's how I got started. It was the combination of this was going on within the same organization I was working in, and at the same time, I had a personal experience as well. Well, I definitely apologize, and and I feel... Um, hate that you had to have such a personal experience to get pulled in. Um, I would love to learn maybe a little bit about your um, training. You said you started off in kind of a data analyst role. Um, any other points from a training perspective? Um, because in, in pulling this show together, I've had the chance to talk to a lawyer that now leads quality within a healthcare facility. Um, you know, physicians, there's such a robust background. We'd love to learn about your background a little bit. I I think, um, you know, coming from a data perspective, I'm always interested in uh, performance measures. What do the measures say? Are we measuring the right thing? And so my background was really getting involved with organizations such as 
the local Illinois Association for Healthcare Quality, the National Association for Healthcare Quality, and certainly when uh, To Air is Human and other um, Institute of Medicine um, publications took place, they were widely being discussed, uh, not only in these organizations, but outside. And so it really was a matter of reading, um, uh, being engaged with these organizations, participating with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, all those organizations that started to spring up and were actively engaging uh, clinicians as well as non-clinicians in quality improvement. So it really was, um, you know, taking the steps, my steps, and, and trying to learn more. And, of course, um, now there's so many different resources available, uh, but I always say it's uh, the doing. <laughs> it's not just reading and being right at what's going on. It's, it's the doing of the improvement. No, absolutely. Well, you know, love the fact that you're in quality. Again, I hate the, that you had such a personal experience, but um, it sounds like you found a great calling. And, and again, with your background, I was just so impressed. And, and it, was, it was so unique. I think this show has given me a chance to find very unique leaders and glad I came across yours. Pat, would love for you to share with us a moment that you would consider perhaps your worst moment as a healthcare quality leader. Um, and really, you know, dig us into that story a little bit. Share with us maybe some of the details and definitely maybe some of the decisions you were going through as you work to turn that moment around. Because I also do work internationally, I'm going to give uh, a perspective on one nationally as well as internationally. And I, I think it was when data started to become available, you know, and, and it, it, nowadays we think it's readily available. Uh, but, you know, going back 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have access to data and information so much. It was when we started doing analysis of uh, the gaps, uh, the gaps in access, processes, outcomes of care, and it was based upon race, ethnicity, age, gender, and payer, because uh, payer was a proxy almost for income. And I, I looked at it, and I remember, again, my Martin Luther King quote of all the forms of, in, of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and inhuman. And it reminded me of the gaps that I found, and I still find, this is why it's so heartbreaking for me, is um, in Chicago, 30% uh, of the Chicagoans are black, and yet they represent 62% of the patients on dialysis. Uh, that, to me, is a huge inequity, and it's no longer about um, equal, it's about equitable. And so the dialogue is now shifting, and it has been shifting for a couple of years, but now we need to make good on that. Uh, we, need to, we need to provide equitable health care and not just equal health care because uh, there's no reason why that disparity should exist, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be digging deeper to find out why that disparity does exist and what are the interventions that can be put in place. So, so that's, that's one um, in terms of the disparity. And then in Nigeria, I was working on a project um, uh, with Rotary International, 
And we found in this area we were working in, uh, in Nsuka, Nigeria, sort of in uh, where the Biafran War uh, was fought, the Civil War. And the infant mortality was higher than in the rest of Nigeria. And this is an area that's extreme poverty, uh, about 1.2 million people living in extreme poverty. And their um, infant mortality rate was really beyond what we had seen in any other part of Nigeria. And we started digging, and here's where the, you know, the experience and um, knowing the data, we started looking at it, and it turns out that as babies were being born and they stopped breathing, uh, they, they intubated the babies. None of them had been trained in intubation, and it's very difficult, and it's rare even in the United States, uh, to intubate a baby, especially if they stop breathing. So we learned from the American Academy of Pediatrics and later all uh, to use warming and massage techniques, clearing the mouth and airway, and sometimes using a balloon for breathing. And all of a sudden, instead of doing intubation, uh, they were using this techniques, and the infant mortality rate declined. So there's so many ways we can learn from each other. That wasn't something I invented. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a clinician. Uh, but I listen to others. And when I pose this issue to somebody, they say, oh, talk to them, talk to them. And we pulled that together. And, um, it, again, it made a huge difference. So I do think that, you know, when people work together, uh, when they work with a common cause of improving health and outcomes for all, uh, that it is possible. So those are the the two moments to me where, you know, it's still gnawing at me in the United States, the disparities. And I feel good about what happened in Nigeria, uh, but they have a long way to go with other conditions as well. Well, and for both of your examples there, two main takeaways that I think I, I was listening to was first, the obvious one, the disparities. And being an African-American leader in healthcare now, I still see it even with some of the projects and things I get pulled in on. So I would love for you to give thoughts. I mean, what can we do about the disparities? But then I guess the second thing that I was really thinking through as you shared your stories there, you know, you were having those observations at a time when even some of the evidence-based practice may not have really reached such poor areas in Africa or other rural areas. How do you come into an area like that and start to apply various other research and proven methods for improvement? Were they culturally open to some of the uh, ideas and the solutions that you, you and your team brought, or was it, you know, did you receive any kind of pushback? Well, I, I do have a little, <laughs> I, I should have provided a little bit of perspective. I've been working in that area for about six years, and I, okay. I go there every year. And so you're right, you have to establish trust. Uh, we did a community-wide um, uh, planning session. It was over a week. And it involved almost all the staff of the three hospitals there and the clinicians and the community. And it really was, we were facilitating. They were, they were the ones setting the, the direction. And so I, you know, talking to some physicians, they were just devastated by losing these infants. And they knew something was wrong. Uh, they just didn't know how to fix it. 
And so when we brought in uh, a pediatric intensive care unit physician from the United States and he started working with them and then certifying them uh, in terms of their, their techniques, uh, using different techniques, uh, it was warmly accepted. And because the babies had stopped dying uh, needlessly, uh, they were more than supportive. And again, it wasn't that we were, we just happened to have, you know, a strategy. And I've learned a lot from them as well. So, I mean, it's a, always a give and take uh, because they are so family oriented, so community oriented, and care so much about each other uh, that, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit different community uh, setting where there is this cohesiveness and working together and, and common, um, you know, hope, hope for the better, hope for, I always find when I work in developing countries that we share the same uh, goals, you know, providing for your family, wanting the best for your children, and really just, just wanting to be happy, uh, live a happy life, happy and healthy life. All right, wonderful, wonderful. Pat, I would love for you to give our quality people maybe one tip or tool or tactic that you found works very well on project teams to build those intimate connections. But, you know, share with us what that tip and tool is and how do you apply it on the work that you do? Okay. I know this is, uh, this is probably a little bit out there for some, uh, but I truly believe if you engage persons and families in the co-production of interventions, and it, and I mean that from co-creation to co-evaluations. One, you're going to have their voice there. They're going to be the biggest proponents of it. And they also have a great deal of insight. Oftentimes, we develop quality improvements for the patient, but not with the patient. And it does make a difference in acceptance, as well as always keeping that patient in the room, literally in the room with you. So I, I do think that's one thing is if you haven't introduced a, a patient family advisory council or have patient family advisors or have them participating some way in your organization, you really need to consider that. Um, there's a whole process for building these uh, patient family advisors uh, where they're they're not just people off the street. Uh, you really have to spend time uh, certainly recruiting them, but also engaging them in, in honest and genuine uh, participation. But I really think that's one of the biggest things I can say is listen to the patients, listen to the community. All right, wonderful. I've had a chance on a few projects recently to engage with patient family advisors, and they have been some of the, uh, the most honest and just direct members on the project teams that I've worked on. I've really enjoyed having them a part of it. I think they've taken our focus in a different direction, so I, I love that feedback. For our next question that I have for you, Pat, could you tell us or share with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a quality professional? But again, you know, share with us the background on the idea, how did it come to you, and definitely if you were able to turn it into a, a personal or a professional success. Sure. I think one of the, um, we recently participated in a PCORI project with the Society to Improve Diagnosis in Medicine. And I was in charge of the engagement, the engagement of the patients, the advisors, and the research mentors. 
And this project was really to develop uh, partnerships with patients so they could participate in research and diagnosis. And, and the background on that is, you know, 10% of all patients will experience a diagnostic error. And, um, and it, again, it's more prevalent than what people know. And oftentimes the diagnosis, the symptoms leading up to that, uh, haven't been changed in years or decades. And so this is, was an opportunity to bring them in to have them be trained as partners in uh, diagnosis and error in medicine. And so we had um, uh, 21 patients. We lost one during the course of a year and a half. And we met with them every month uh, by a webinar and a couple times in person. And they got to know, uh, uh, these were not professional patients. These were patients like off the street. We had 10 disease-based organizations that uh, identified patients. Each of them had had something happen to them or a loved one. Uh, they either had harm uh, themselves or uh, a family member died uh, from a disease. And this, these were things like cardiac uh, diabetes, Crohn's disease, sepsis, um, a kidney disease, uh, again, a whole spectrum of diseases. And what happened is as we worked with the patients, they were able to see uh, and identify where their diagnostic error occurred in the diagnosis process. And they were able to write, uh, we had them write a two 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 minutes, 35 seconds uh, uh, presentation that they could make. And at the National Diagnosis Error in Medicine Conference that was held this past November, uh, the 21 patients and family members stood up, each one of them, and they gave a, it was about a 65-second story on their diagnostic error, uh, what harm it caused, and a statement on what if, what if the providers had done this? And, and so as a result, um, they were the audience of about 400 researchers and clinicians uh, were overwhelmed by their stories that they stood up, gave them a standing ovation and resounding applause. We had to ask them at the end to hold the applause because again, it was such an uh, impactful moment. And to me, that was an aha moment because that said to me, the story of the patients and the families really resonates with those that sometimes don't encounter patients or those that do and just don't take the time to understand or listen to the patient. And um, when they told those stories, it was very compelling and um, they were just very factual in their telling as well. Uh, but you could see how it really affected the audience. That's a wonderful, uh, wonderful story there. I'm, I was trying to put myself, you know, in the seat of the audience while the uh, while those folks were giving their presentation. And all I can imagine is it had to have been such a humbling moment to hear those stories. Wow. It was, and to work with them, you know, for, for over a year, about a year and a half, I got to know them all quite well. And their stories, each of them, you know, what they had gone through. But the thing is, they were there. They were committed to making it better 
for the next person that comes along. I mean, that also is the story is when you engage patients and persons and families in any type of healthcare improvement, it's not about them. It's about the next person. So the next person doesn't have to go through what they have gone through. So it is very humbling, very humbling. Awesome. No, exceptional story. I appreciate you sharing that that aha moment. That was a pretty incredible one to share. Pat, my next question for you, what are some of the changes taking place right now across healthcare that you're excited about, and what role do you see quality professionals playing to promote or support its longevity? Well, <laughs> there's so many changes that are occurring. I, I see it from a um, sort of a distinct you know, initiative or intervention that's occurring and trying to make it sustainable, uh, you know, for a period of time. I also see system change that is occurring. So it's no longer just, you know, it's no longer a single infection. It's infection control and prevention across the board. Um, I also see, uh, and again, this isn't across the United States. It's in different pockets. But I see where people are saying, you know, it's, it's no longer about this episode of care. It's about the continuum. I remember when I started in healthcare, they talked about the continuum of care, but it always ended up being episodical. So I think now we're really talking about with the coordination of care, uh, the handoffs, the discharge planning, it's really about the engagement of the next provider, the next setting of care, so that the patient has the best experience and can have the best outcomes going to the next setting of care. So I think that's very exciting. I think we're also talking about sustaining gains, and that's something, you know, it's it's no longer the the flavor of the month or the flavor of the year, the measure of the year. It's really about how do we sustain those gains and, and make sure that we're staying, you know, we don't lose any gains that we've made and that we're sharing. The other uh, exciting thing I love is the collaboration that is occurring, such as on this, um, you know, on this podcast as well, being able to share with others and to learn from each other and then to take those types of learnings and apply them within a care setting. So I, I do think it's a very exciting time. And the quality professionals, I think, are really key to promoting these initiatives, as well as uh, they're going to be key to sustaining them. So, I, I again, a wonderful time to be in healthcare. I, I second that notion. I, I got into it about 13 years ago myself and have not looked back, and I can honestly say no two days are the same. So definitely an exciting time with all the changes. That is true. There are no days that are the same. <laughs> <laughs> and for better or for worse, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Pat, next question I have for you is, how can the healthcare industry become a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals to start and or grow their careers? I, I think one of the things that I, I see, especially in this field, um, you know, if I'm looking at it from a hospital setting, I think more internships actual internships within the healthcare, the hospital setting. If I look at it in different settings of care, I think having some quality training and coming in and being able to apply it. 
And I'm thinking of, um, you know, right now there's a major focus in 2019 in going on in nursing home quality and safety. So being able to have a professional go in and do an internship there um, and, and have the staff be receptive to the suggestions and the changes um, that are being suggested. So I do think it is internships. I think it's taking people in, accepting, you know, based upon the information that's presented. Um, and I think to grow their careers, um, if they don't have healthcare experience, I'm a volunteer. I'm a volunteer at a children's hospital. I've been there. I do bedside volunteering. I've been there 28 years, a total of 28 years. And I encourage anyone who's thinking about going into a particular healthcare setting to consider doing some volunteer work uh, because that will give you an insight and perspective from a patient's perspective, which is what it's all about. That's some of the best advice I've heard um, in a while, so I can't wait to get this show up to to have that message out. To to volunteer, I think, would be a wonderful way to get exposed, so I appreciate that for sure. And you'll love it. You'll love it. You'll get more back uh, than you give. Wonderful. You are right at about the halfway point for our show, and you are doing an amazing, amazing job. I'm going to take us into a part of the show now that we call the two-minute drill. So are you ready? Sure. All right, let's do it. First question I have for you is, could you tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best day in and day out as a quality professional? Hearing and seeing, uh, hearing the voices of patients and families and those that are engaged in quality and safety improvements, um, seeing the changes that are being made, but keeping their voices in mind. You know, um, as, as you do volunteer work, you'll find that there's some uh, people that just touch you in so many different ways. Keep them in mind. It could be also a family member. But putting that at the forefront really will help you do your best each day. And uh, like that saying says, good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and the better is the best. Wonderful. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Actually, it's engaged the patient and family in healthcare outcomes. I worked as, in the quality improvement organization. I've worked at the hospital association and in different areas. And I can tell you, nothing, we're not going to achieve population health. We can't get to the best outcomes of care unless we have the patients and families with us. They are our partners, and, and that's to do it to them, but do it with them. Wonderful, wonderful. And do you have a mentor that has made an impact on your career? I've had many. And I was a bedside volunteer at a hospital in Chicago, Children's Hospital in Chicago, prior to ever uh, starting in healthcare. And I have to say, it's them, it's the children and the parents that have been the best mentor to really put the importance on doing things right and bringing the best solutions to the patient and with the patient. So again, I feel they have been my mentors. Uh, There's some that I just will never forget in my life. Um, And I I think of them as, as my mentor. Exceptional answer there. Pat, can you share with us a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality initiatives? 
I think there's a, a few ways. I, I like to listen. I like to do research. I do have that research and planning background. And I like to be engaged in the moment. So it really, for listening, it's not listening halfway. It's being fully engaged. So I think that's really important when leading quality initiatives because you never know when it's that, that person that just joined the team that is one of those that says, hey, I've got a great idea. And uh, to make sure that their voice is heard and that they, again, follow a quality improvement cycle through. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, a personal habit I have is I like to use PDSA. And uh, PDSA usually gets me there or gets me to recycle my thinking. Uh, but I encourage everyone to use uh, PDSA as well. All right, wonderful. And can you please share your number one Internet resource that helps you to be the most productive? Okay. I think there's a few. I, I love the healthcare policy uh, because I, I think now healthcare policy is certainly dipping their toes and maybe they've jumped in uh, to healthcare quality. And so I like to look at the different websites on healthcare policy, and there's, there's many of them uh, that I go to, whether it's state or federal or uh, even uh, association-wise, the healthcare quality associations. And then I also like to look at some of the uh, stories, patient stories that are out there. If I'm working on a particular condition, I'll, I'll look for or a particular focus area. I'll look for patient stories on that. And so that's when I Google and uh, typically find a story that moves me and makes me think uh, sometimes a little bit different than what I was planning on. For the healthcare policy focus you have, do you have one or two good websites to reference? Maybe uh, folks could check it out when they, they get a chance to plug into the show. Sure. Um, the CMS, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, certainly puts information up there. So you've got to read between the lines as to what is really going on. But then there's a, a you know, there's modern health care. There's also inside health policy. So those are ones that I typically look at each day. All right, perfect. Could you please share with our quality people one professional association and one professional conference that you think would be a value add? I, I think for uh, anyone that's starting out and anyone that is advancing in healthcare quality, I think the National Association for Healthcare Quality, in terms of getting professional training in that, is a, a wonderful resource. Years ago, it used to be just focused on quality. Now it's also, you know, the Lean Six Sigma and the different um, uh, techniques that are out there as well. So it's really uh, stayed current with the trends in healthcare. And as for uh, different um, uh, conferences, uh, there's the CMS Quality Conference that usually attracts about 3,000 people. Certainly, IHI is about 12,000 people, National Association of Healthcare Quality. And any that really inspires uh, a quality professional. And I never thought, you know, I went to this Diagnosis Error in Medicine conference, and I, I was surprised um, at the openness and the sharing that was going on and how they were all trying to learn about quality improvement in terms of diagnosis and avoiding error. So, again, whatever moves you, just don't sit there. Just go. Go and do it. And, Pat, can you recommend one book that our listeners will benefit from and why? Okay. I 
you know, there's so many healthcare professional books out there. So I tend to like to read fiction, but I also like to read documentaries. And one that I found recently is called From Broken Glass, and it's by Steve Ross. And it's an amazing story of survival, thankfulness, and gratefulness. And as I started the show with uh, talking about giving back, he answers that question about what are you doing for others. It's the story of a Holocaust survivor and um, just an amazing story of, uh, as a young child, what he went through and how he survived. And now he helps, um, you know, he works as almost a, a social worker in, uh, in some communities where uh, there's, there's disparities and, and violence, and he's making a difference. He's still continuing to make a difference. So, I, again, it was very inspiring. No, no, it was wonderful. Uh, could you say the name, the, the title of that again? Sure. It's called From Broken Glass by Steve Ross. Awesome. It's hard to read. It's not an easy book to read because you sit there and go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this ever happened. Uh, but wow. it, it just is a inspirational, very inspirational. Wonderful. All right. So, Pat, just a heads up now. This next question is the uh, the mother of all questions that I have for you today. It's one of my personal favorites as I'm going to get you to simultaneously reflect on your past while looking forward to your future. So let's say that you were able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? In the past, I would say quality health care and prevention would be available to all in the United States. Going forward 10 years from now, I would be saying, and sort of now, uh, quality health care and disease prevention will be equitable to all in the United States. So that shift, that shift from equal to equitable. I love it. Pat, I cannot thank you again, thank you enough again for Jumping on the show with us for a few minutes here, um, really sharing some amazing stories, some amazing inspiration. And I know once our, our quality people out there plug in, they're going to really fall in line with the, the energy and the stories that you share today. So thank you so much. But before I end the show and let you go, I would love for you to share some parting advice and perhaps the best way that folks can either follow you or connect with you on social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Okay. At first, don't let anything hold you back. Just go for it. Um, go for the quality. Be the best. And to connect with me, uh, certainly you can reach me by email at pmeriweather at projectpatientcare.org. Or you can contact me at 630-202-5579. And I thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to to actually enjoy this conversation with you. It's, it's been wonderful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.